Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, I'm Sai, and welcome to Ace Podcast Nation. Here at our podcast uh, network and YouTube channel, we've got podcasts, interviews, and content on all sorts of subjects, including a weekly football show every Monday live on youtube.com slash Ace Podcast Nation and Facebook Live on our podcast page, which is the Andy Campbell Show, featuring uh, former Premier League striker Andy Campbell and myself, breaking down the championship action from the weekend before. We also read we also release shows Tuesday, uh, Wednesday and Friday of each week. They're all available in video format at youtube.com slash podcast nation and all audio podcasting platforms. So I have joining me today to uh, talk about, I'm sure it's going to be a very interesting show as we go through uh, some stuff and an even better conversation. I'm very excited to uh, speak to this gentleman. Because I was a, a big fan, big fan growing up, and uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good one. I'm I'm really excited. So uh, joining me, he played for England over eighty times in Test match and One Day Internationals, as well as playing for Leicestershire, Not- Nottinghamshire, and Surrey. Fast bowler, Mr. Chris Lewis. Welcome, Chris. How are you today? I'm very well. Um, just finished a gym session. Um, yeah, there you go. So yeah, it's, I'm been looking. I'm looking forward to this, and uh, I was excited when you got back to me uh, when I had messaged you. Not not everyone does. You'll be surprised to know <laughs> that. Uh, but you just gotta 
you know, it's, I understand though, because obviously a lot of the time I'm contacting people sort of cold who maybe don't know me. So it's people are a bit skeptical or a bit wary of who the, who's, who's messaging them. But um, like, yeah, I appreciate you getting back to me and, and sorting it out because I'm really looking forward to it. You have lots, lots, uh, lots of stuff which has happened over the years, whether it's your career or afterwards, you've got a very interesting story. Um, but in, in order to get kind of a feel for you as a person, rather than just jumping into all that stuff, I'd like to sort of go back to the start, really, and, and talk about your upbringing. Um, obviously, well, in, your words will be better than mine, I'd say. Um, where did it start for you? Well, I was born on St. Valentine's Day. Um, in 1966 in a place called Guyana, which is a former British colony in South America. And to be honest, um, growing up was very English in a sense, um, being a former colony. It was kind of speak when you're spoken to, kids to be seen and not heard and, and go to school. So it was all kind of discipline in that sense. Yeah. But okay. once that was all over, you got the hang of that. Um, as a young person, um, the environment was quite safe. We ran around inside and out day and night. And certainly for us at the time in Guyana, the things that we did most of all was play cricket because it was a time where I think all of the guys um, the Caribbean were inspired by the quality of cricketing that we were producing at the time. Oh, yeah. The Sobers, the Hunts, the three Ws, um, all those sort of guys. Um, beforehand, and then more of my generation, you then talk in Richard, Lloyd, Greenwich, Holden. So as young people, we were all running around trying to um, sort of emulate um, our heroes. And I mean, most of them, we'd never actually seen play before. We just heard them on the radio. But as young boys, we all ran around and and tried to do that. So overall... um, the childhood, I think, was a, a really, really happy one where we played around a lot. I know um, later on in life, you can look back at these things uh, with a little bit of blinkers on. But um, no, it was just a, a fun time where I got to play a lot of cricket. I was very physical. And although I didn't know it at that time, all that physicality and stuff would actually help me later on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, did you play uh, any other sports like back then? You know, it was funny. Until I came to England, and I came to England as a, a 10-year-old, I'd never actually kicked a football. Wow. I'd never really tried any other sports. The closest we, we kind of came to doing other things sports-wise was playing with our bikes, um, which was one thing. And we would literally climb trees or we would do a, a form of gymnastics which is we'd put one of those old tires, big, um, from a truck on the floor and literally run and jump off it and you'd get mm-hmm. that spring off it and we'd do flips. <laughs> so it was kind of more making your own entertainment. Um, yeah, of course. Even the cricket stuff that we, we used, we made it. We made our bats from um, the wooden panes or the wooden slats in our family's fence as you can imagine, would be problematic for a while because after a hmm. bit, um, there are a few holes about it, you know. Yeah, but... We made our, our balls from used tyres. We cut them up and put them around a seed and it would be a bouncy ball. So it was a time where um, 
you kind of have to um, do a lot of stuff. You have to make your own entertainment. Um, not all as, let's say, benign as cricket. So you got into trouble a few times. But yeah. it was an environment where we had lots of fun. And a lot of those things um, helped me when I eventually came to England. Yeah, I suppose it's a different time. Even uh, like when I grew up in the 80s and 90s, um, you know, we had to make our own entertainment, our own fun. Um, I remember one time uh, the field, which was kind of just up the road from us, where we used to play cricket, but it was the grass was cut by the council, so you were reliant on it being short enough to play cricket or even football sometimes. Uh, and when, when summer, I remember my father came up with like a push-along lawnmower and spent about two hours just cutting the grass really short <laughs> so we had a kick, cricket strip. But, I mean, obviously, these days, I've got three kids now, and they very much... It's a different world, I guess, as well. There's more, there's more dangers, I think, out there. You've got more things to worry about. Um, so they don't like they still go out, but they don't experience the same, same. I think I I think of it personally like the same joys of when I was younger. I would go out for almost go out go out after breakfast and come back for tea, and be able to spend the whole day out just wandering, exploring, playing football, playing cricket. And then, unfortunately, the world we live in now, kids can't do that because parents get very paranoid if they haven't spoken to their kids for a couple of hours and they're out the house because of, you know, there's various things going on, I guess. No, um, for sure, we live in a, a very, um, I was going to say dangerous, but a, a very uh, different world. Um, and obviously things have changed accordingly. But I think also the people have changed in the sense that um, I don't know many youngsters who necessarily want to go out rambling. Or want to go yeah, 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 it's true. <laughs> if you see what I mean, so I suppose it's just one of those you accept that at the time when I was growing up, this is the way things were done because, to an extent, this is what was available. You know, and yeah, yeah. We are in a different world where there there's so many different things um, vying for people's attention and, and 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 so forth. You know, and people have grown up being comfortable with other things. You know, part of the, I suppose, the flip side of mom not letting you out is that you might not necessarily grow up being the sort of person who wants to go out walking too much. Yeah, there's, I suppose there's, <laughs> there's, there's lots of different aspects to it, isn't there? Because, oh, yeah. like, it's, like it's when I was younger... Go on, sorry. But, but I, think, I think, to be honest, whatever our environment is as it was then, I think our environment um, can serve us as it did me. And I think that there, there are so many wonderful thing about the world that we live in also um, today which I would look back and go oh I'm so glad they've invented that because I certainly didn't want to do that anymore <laughs> so it's, you yeah. know what I mean so you can you can pick and um, mix and match it and perhaps that's the, the beauty of it um, it just means that we have more choice yeah I think so I, so you mentioned you you moved to England uh, age 10 uh, how was that as a, like a, an adaption for a 10 year old child to obviously move into a a completely different country and environment. Well, do you know the funny thing is when people ask that question, sometimes I get the impression that, in the back of it, that the expectation is that that would be hard. Mm. And what I would say it was different. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say um, use the word hard at all. Um, coming from the Caribbean, wasn't 
a chore for me. It was an, it was an excitement. I'd been okay. kind of built up to that um, for a while because my parents were here. It was my expectation to come here. So when I came, I was so excited. Um, excited to be in England, not just because my parents were here, excited to be in England, that place that we'd heard all those wonderful stories about um, as, a, as a young person. So my take in it, it was a, a positive move. Now, of course, um, going to school, I think it was probably the first place I became really self-aware because previously, pretty much everybody looked like me. Yeah, of course. You didn't have to really think about anything, you know? Um, my big afro and mm -hmm. my western features all fitted in perfectly where I was. But here I was in a new environment and became a little bit self-conscious because not everybody looked like me. And obviously, from a cultural point of view, there are different things to get used to, um, different food. The fact that I didn't even actually have a football team that I supported. Yeah, I, mean, I suppose that would be different as well, wouldn't it? That would be the worst crime of all. <laughs> I mean, who are you? You haven't got a football team? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. How can you not? Yeah. So I picked that up very quickly and very quickly I had to pick one. So I picked Liverpool. Um, oh, all those I know. <laughs> and 40 years later, um, especially this year, I'm very proud that I picked Liverpool. Yeah, I bet. Um, but it's, it's been a... It's, it's, it's been a long way, but of course, there was cricket at school, and eventually summer came, and I say I joined the cricket team, but I didn't. I went to trials, and I made the cricket team, and that kind of transformed my life um, in England, because of, as a young person, once I'd done the stuff that I needed to do, the chores, or go to school, or whatever your parents wanted to do, the thing I wanted to do the most um, was play cricket. Um, and here was an environment, um, even though I was a passionate cricketer, I'd never actually played a proper game of cricket in the Caribbean. All my games had been on the street, um, just playing with friends. So that must have been a different uh, experience in itself, playing, because obviously playing in the street with your friends is different to a kind of formal match with rules and whatnot. Um, all it did, and it's not a small thing, was increased my passion of our desire for the game. After playing cricket for so long and then finally putting on a pair of whites and bowling boots and, you know, the floppy hat. Yeah. I remember that first Saturday afternoon playing for Wilson High um, in the park. Um, I'm sure I felt like Viv Richards that, that day. Mm -hmm. I had the floppy hat on. I had the SS Jumbo. And... It was such a, a brilliant experience, having played cricket, I mean, all my life, meaning for 10 years, but never actually had the chance to actually hold the kit and all that. Yeah, of course. On a proper cricket pitch, um, with proper gears, mm -hmm. playing, playing the match. Um, I wanted to do that. I wanted to do that forever. Um, it, was, it was really, really nice. And I suppose that Saturday afternoon, was when I suppose I realized that I'd be comfortable. I'd be very comfortable in my new environment. Because as you sort of mentioned before that, it was more coming to terms with my new environment and not really being used to very thing, anything. And when I say being not the odd one out, but being the one that didn't necessarily understand 
Yeah. Um, okay. Um, cricket made that easier for me because I became the captain of the school team. And all of a sudden, from the guy who had just come, I was the captain of the school team, and there was a certain amount of acceptance with that. And, you know, um, yeah, and I suppose you <clears throat> makes it eat. Sport brings people together generally, doesn't it? Whether you're spectating or, or taking part. And as a, a, a young kid, once you start playing in, in a team, you automatically make friends with the people from the team, particularly if you're captain and have a cricket team where you've got to you know, tell people where to go in fielding settings and bowlers and things like this. So you instantly are... You know, you're interacting with people straight away. Um, also, also it, it just meant that there was a topic that I suppose you and your new friend saw um, eye to eye at. On yeah. There was cultural difference with games that we played or or how we went about our lives um, was different. But here was this sport and we all knew how to do it because the rules were the same pretty much here or there. You know, so it was a place where we could actually come together and from there, um, kind of build relationships you know, on a personal level. Um, feel that, um, if not belong, but that I could fit in to my new home. Absolutely. So, how did you, or when did you go from kind of playing school cricket, and um, did you like join a club then, or did you go from school cricket? into county cricket? No, it was a funny one. Is that When I came, I played for the school team and in between that, I would just play in the park. Again, it wasn't until I was 15 that I realised that I could actually go and join the club. <laughs> because, again, coming from the Caribbean, we didn't, not we didn't, there were cricket clubs, but we didn't necessarily join them. All. So, I didn't even imagine that they were cricket club where little boys could go and play cricket but when I did I remember I went up to my first cricket club which was a cricket club called Southampton and a friend and I went to do a, a bit of a look before we joined and we looked through the gate and I'd never seen a, an outfield that was so immaculate it looked like mm-hmm. a red carpet and even before we'd spoken to them we just went yeah we're joining there mm-hmm. and that was my first club South Hampstead, um, I was 15 by that time. But an interesting thing is that I was going to end up, I suppose, um, in my international career, being more of a bowler than a batter. But as an 11-year-old, I couldn't even bowl off um, over hmm. you know, I hadn't yeah. had to learn to bowl because my plan was simple. I was going to play cricket, but I was always going to be the next um, Viv Richards. Hmm. <laughs> like so many people um, I wasn't planning to do anything um, else um, but um, joining that school team I learned to bowl over and then when I eventually went to Southampton um, I found myself bowling um, a little bit more and it was as a 16 year old I was having some nets at Lord and although I didn't know um, a former international and now coach of Leicester Ken Higgs was on the balcony and Ken obviously saw something that he thought he could work with and Ken pursued that and he pursued that quite vigorously because late in the year I was asked for trial to go to Leicester which I declined only because 
I still wanted to be at Middlesex. Um, but by the end of the summer, Kenneth phoned back and offered me a two-year contract um, to fulfill my dream. Now, bear okay. in mind, I'm playing in the park, and the club I'm at now is Wembley. I'm not a regular in the first team. I play on Sunday, so on Saturdays I'm in the two. Oh. And here I am. And this guy is offering me the opportunity to fulfill the only dream I've ever had. And that was to play professional football. Um, it was kind of mad. Um, a happy yes. mad. You know, a happy mad. You're just so excited. And off I wandered off um, with excitement to Leicester. And it wasn't until I kind of got to Leicester and was in the ground. And you bumped into David Gow, you bumped into Peter Willie. And then the expectation is that you're going to be in the same team. And I was like, wow, okay, how is this going to work now? At some point, anybody's gonna, somebody's going to walk in and go, we've made a mistake, Mr. Lewis. You aren't <laughs> supposed to be here. Literally. I mean, a couple yeah, of months, I'm playing in the park with my mates. That's, that must have been a huge step up. Um, I, to be honest, I thought it was, and I suppose it was, in a sense, but as a young boy, I just played cricket, so my head was kind of clear. I just watched yeah. the ball, and it didn't really matter who was bowling. I kind of just went through the same thing, and I think that helped because in my first year at Leicester, I was successful enough to be selected in 1987, at the end of that summer, to tour Australia with Young England. Okay. You know, and that's with Mike Atherton, captain, Nasser Hussein. Mark Lampercash, um, Mark Elaine, Pete Martin, Martin Bicknell, Simon Brown, Warren Hegg. Um, some team. Oh, wow. Um, some team. So from literally from going from being in a place of nowhere, just playing a bit of second eleven cricket for my club as a 16, 17-year-old, here I am as a 19-year-old, representing England um, in the Youth World Cup. Um, it was, it was fun, um, but I I enjoyed it. I I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that. Life. Um, Chris, can I ask you a, a bit of a favour? Um, would you be able to unplug your headphones for me? I just getting a little bit of feedback off them. Yeah, um, no problem. And we'll just do it without. Sorry to be a pain. It's just uh, no, that's all right. I don't Is that wanna, better? Yeah, yeah, that's much better. I okay. don't know why I did, but just I'll take that little bit out anyway. Um, okay. So you mentioned there you played in the the youth or the young World Cup youth World Cup with uh, there's quite quite some fit, you know famous names uh, who you played alongside there who obviously went on and played international cricket for England at, at to varying degrees. Um, obviously the World Cup uh, will come back into uh, your career a bit further down the line. Um, so after you 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 you're playing for Young England, you're you're you've gone to uh, play or to join a professional uh, team. How long was it before, what was the kind of time frame from there to, to play in first team county cricket? It, it's funny. I was fortunate enough in that in my first year at Leicester, um, I got in to the first team for various reasons. Now, at the time, Leicester's first team was pretty impressive with the, the bowlers we had. We had yeah. Agnew, Taylor, De Freitas, 
Parsons, um, Paddy Clift, and a whole host of other seamers. So there wasn't any expectation on my part um, really to get into that team. But over the course of summer, um, injuries and everything else, um, I played one or two games that first year um, on staff. I think it may only been two or three, um, to be honest, but I got a taste. And certainly it was, a, it was an eye-opener because the standards were, were very different between the second team cricket I was playing and doing quite well in and that first class game. And it wasn't probably until the following year that I got in a little bit more consistently, okay. I think. So I would say in my case, it was probably a couple of years before I broke into the first team um, consistently, um, which again was a surprise. My expectation was perhaps to be in the second team at that time you were talking about was a four or five years and then hopefully get in. But things were running really quickly for me um, from what you might say is a, a complete standing start because I wasn't the one who was destined to um, play first-class cricket. Um, I was the one who was going to be a good club cricketer. And okay. what made the difference, I suppose, and I think people were perhaps right, but what made the difference is that people were ass assessing me as a batsman hmm. and my bowling hadn't come online yet. And then my bowling came online and that was the thing that people noticed more. And that was the thing that I suppose I was going to make my name with, um, with later on. But a lot of the times when I was younger, um, I didn't, I didn't, I simply didn't bowl a lot. Um, yeah. I, I, um, I watched uh, an interview you did. Uh, I think it was with cricket life stories. Um, and one of the things which sort of caught my eye was, um, when he, uh, the, the, the guy who was interviewing you, he mentioned uh, some quotes which Derek Pringle had made. Um, and it was something that I was already thinking of bringing up to you, was that I kind of feel like um, the media and fellow cricketers have got plenty, have had plenty to say, have plenty to say about kind of, it's quite often like this trotted out line uh, that, you know, you were super talented, you were a very talented cricketer, but your head wasn't right or you were kind of confused and stuff. And I've always thought that's a bit kind of disrespectful because to me, you don't play 80 to 80 plus times for England cricket team on just talent alone. Um, now, if you did say, for an example, uh, Ravel Morrison would have played for England football team a hundred times by now because he's supremely talented but for whatever reason, he hasn't been able to to to, to settle whether it's because he doesn't put the work in or whatever it may be. Um, but I feel like you've just said that at, when you were <coughs> when you've joined Leicestershire, they're looking at you as a batsman, um, and your bowling hasn't really come along yet. That didn't just magically happen. You had to put the work in <laughs> to get there. Do you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> it and it's well. I, it's, it's amazing, and that's always been my argument, that nothing magically happens. No, that's always not. been my argument. Um, I don't know where you guys get this from. You mm. think that there's some people who just turn out and then the first day they can magically bowl at 100 miles an hour or do this or do that. 
And the surprising thing is that these are ex-professionals. And yeah. they, know, they know that. So from my point of view, I've always looked at it as people taking cheap shots. It's an easy yeah. shot because they know how much work they've had to put in. And we can see that even the very best of cricketers, if they take time off, fall off the pace. Yeah. No matter how talented you are. So if you don't put in a level of work, you can't acquire that level, that standard. And you certainly can't go and compete with people who are working day in and day out. Um, and I've always found it a little slight in that other professionals would suggest. And what they suggest is, is that I don't work for what I have. But without saying it, suggesting that they've had to put in a lot of work to make a load of their meager talent, so to speak. And that's yeah. the conversation. That's the conversation you, I'm having all the time. Um, and of course, I don't see it that way because I remember actually having to learn to do all those things. I remembered when I couldn't do them. And, yeah, and, and like everybody else. Um, but you, you know, such thing that they're, they're so past in the sense is that yeah. that conversation is a dead conversation because. It's such an old one, and we live in a place now where people can look and see that because of the one-day stuff, that anybody who puts in the work gets better. Yes. The field in everybody is now a brilliant fielder, regardless of how talented or not they are. They've put in the work, and it shows in their performance. So it's there for everybody to see and to go, no, it doesn't work that way um, if they want to because there's loads of evidence to suggest no matter who you are, if you put in the work, you'll become better. And that's the philosophy we use on everything. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, like, from my own personal experience, I had a certain degree of talent at football and more so at cricket, where in my teens I played to, like, a county level. But I didn't want to put the work in and I didn't want to train, so I would miss training or I'd miss work. So... I never got to find out whether I would have been good enough or not. It doesn't really, you know, it's, it's the past. And that's why the reason I brought it up is because you said like about uh, you weren't, you know, your bowling wasn't quite there. So you had to put the work in to do it. Um, and I just think that, like I said, I just found it astonishing that professional cricketers would say that, particularly some of them who, you know, back then, particularly, a lot of bowlers were bowlers who couldn't field, uh, and the fielding was kind of left to the batsmen. Um, do you think, like, in many ways, like, you were one of the first real athletes uh, in the England team whereby you could bowl, you could bat, you could field, you were athletic, you were in shape. Do you feel I like maybe you were more suited towards today's cricket where, where everyone, like you mentioned, everyone can field, everyone can bat, every, well, not everyone can bat, but everyone can field athletically and is in good shape? And I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say um, more suited. I mean, let's, I'll be honest, is that the fact that people thought that I was athletic or around there at a time where not everybody was a, a great mover, um, I would suggest in a large part worked in my benefit. Yeah. Yeah, if, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Um, playing now with all the things that was going on, I think it would be so exciting um, to kind of put all those things together and in a personal level, actually focus on things that 
perhaps was only you focused on a little bit. Um, there was only so much time that you could put into your fielding. I wondered if I could have put even more time into my field in another aspect. Um, oh, no. Oh, no. Sorry about just, that. It's all right, you just cut out a little bit. Yeah. Um, the thought of playing today um, is exciting, but I enjoyed my time. Um, when I played, that was my time. I don't think I was the first athlete. I mean, we. I think athletes play sports, generally speaking. I mean, yeah. you go back in time in English cricket, and so many of those guys played other sports. So yeah. clearly they were... They were athletes. Um, we've had Ian Botham. We've had Phil DeFreitas. So we've had a host of athletes who have um, played for England, not just modern-day athletes, um, into the past, people who could play many different sports. Um, so in that sense, I was just um, one of many in that yeah. sense. Okay. Um, so when you've, uh, you've, you, you've obviously you've been playing for Leicestershire uh, for a while, when did you, or do you remember getting the call for England that first time? Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, actually, I was in Kenya at the time. I'd been selected to go on an England A-tour with Graham Thorpe. Keith Fletcher was the coach. And whilst I'm um, there, Keith Fletcher got a call that Ricardo Elcock, um, Middlesex and Worcester fast bowler. Um, now, he'd got a stress fracture in his back and he'd failed a fitness test and he was going to be sent home. And they decided that I was going to fly out to the Caribbean um, and replaced him. And I flew into Trinidad, again, not expecting to play. And I think Philip de Freitas was ill on the morning of the game. And with half an hour, hour to go before the game, I'm told that I was going to actually play my first test. And even as I, I speak the words, the emotions come back because it was, well, to say the least, emotional. Um, yeah, I bet. Um, for a long time. As I've mentioned, the only kind of dreams I had at those times were dreams about cricket. So to be able to or to be at that moment, to be about to make my international debut for England. But not only that, I'd be facing Viv Richards, Desmond Haynes, Gordon Greenwich. It was just mad. I was going to say, that must have been some, some experience because I suppose in many ways, because you had the call late, you didn't have that time to maybe get nervous or get a even get too excited about it because you only had an hour or so to really get your get get your head, you know, and you would have been obviously thinking about the game and things like that. But to bowl against no, those guys must have been incredible. I was buzzing. I was absolutely buzzing. I was I was think I was tingling all over. Um I don't think I could focus on one thing. Mm -hmm. My mind was just running everywhere, but not in a bad way. It was just excitement. Um, the whole excitement of the place kind of ramped up for me. And I perhaps only came back to reality an hour into the game when Graham Gooch gave me the ball to bowl. And as I turned around to bowl, I was about to run into ball to Gordon Goodis. 
Jeez. I almost crapped myself. <laughs> <laughs> do you um do you remember much of that test? Well, it was a it was a one day. Oh, okay, sorry. And I remember getting Desmond Haynes out. I remember taking a catch. And I remember it being called off halfway through. Yeah. So I think West Indies just um, batted. So the game was actually abandoned. <laughs> but, oh, mate, I didn't care. <laughs> I, just, I just played cricket. I just played cricket for England. Um, and to be honest, at that moment, if I hadn't played another game for England, that would have been me overachieving in the dreams that I had. Um, you hope, but never necessarily thought, um, certainly as a young boy in the Caribbean, that I would ever make it to those heights. Yeah, and I mean, in many ways, this, you know, it's your first test is just the beginning. You went on to play uh, over 80 times for, for England in test matches and one-day internationals. Um one of my favourite memories of you as an England player, like growing up, is actually as a batsman, um, batting against. I think it was the West Indies uh, around. It must have been ni- about ninety one, um, and I was would have been what ten then, and uh, you kind of you batted like batsmen bat now in many ways, like aggressive, and I think you scored like sixty odd. But I just remember watching it and thinking I you don't see many English batsmen uh carting what the West Indian bowlers all around the ground. Uh, especially in you know in the nineties, England quite consistently lost to uh the West Indian fast bowlers. And uh yeah that was just a that's just a memory one which sticks out for me, that innings in particular. Well as the saying goes, I suppose every dog every dog has his day. Um even with a bat. Um, and that was one of my better ones. Um, in fact, I remember it clearly. That's how good it was, or that's mm-hmm. how unusual it was. <laughs> I remember that not. Um, it was instinctive. It was, I suppose, chancy, but also at the same time, um, we didn't have much to lose. Um, no. We were up against it, and I suppose a little sort of counter-attacking sort of knock. I think Derek, funny enough, Derek and I, I think, had a little partnership um, in that in that game. But do you know, those are the days that I dreamt of as a young boy. Um, being Absolutely. in a cricket field, in an international match, bat in hand, um, summer's day, and just playing shots. Um Unfortunately, that didn't happen as often as I would like. Mm-hmm. But yes, that was one of the days. Um, and occasionally, um, I still have a look at that and remind myself that, um, look, look, you used to be able to play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, do you know what? I, do, I don't blame you. Though, and it, you know, obviously, there was, there was other uh, performances over the years where you contributed a great deal to English cricket during those 80, 80-odd uh, caps. Um, obviously, you played a World Cup final as well. Um, what was that like to play in a World Cup final? Um, I think I missed it. And what I mean, what what I mean in that is that sometimes you can 
almost missed the whole occasion. And I think at that World Cup final, we played we played good cricket. There are a lot of games where I played good cricket, um, one man of the matches. But there was so much more to appreciate in that final. And it's hard to it's hard to put it's hard to put it hard to put it into words. Um but perhaps I appreciate that game now more looking back to be able to go, okay, we lost, but at least I had the opportunity to play in a World Cup final. Yeah, and for sure. Perhaps you should have just enjoyed the whole experience mm-hmm. a little bit more. Perhaps in doing that, it might have just taken the pressure off and allowed the performance to flow. Yeah, um, I guess that's probably not the easiest thing always to do, is it? Is because it's such a big occasion. Um, um, it's 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 a it's 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 a World Cup final, um, but perhaps sometimes you can um, overprocess that. Yeah, um, of course, and be so tight that it doesn't allow you to perform, and it doesn't even allow you to appreciate the whole occasion and appreciate the achievement of the team and in actually getting there in the in the first place. Um, but with hindsight and with time, I can look back at that and go. I'm so proud that I got the opportunity, not just to play at the World Cup, but to represent England in the World Cup final. You know, that's, that's massive. Um, we lost, which was a disappointment and was for a long time because I felt that we were good enough and we were playing good enough cricket that we could have won that tournament. You know, but yet still, um, I had that opportunity. Um, it's just about looking back at myself as a young boy and going, could you have imagined that you would have had the opportunity to do all those things? And the answer is just no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. So to have had that opportunity, yeah. I just go, wow, I'm so grateful that I've had that and been able to experience those things. Yeah, and I mean, it goes to show like how much of an achievement it was to reach that World Cup final and play in that World Cup final because only a very, very few, select few uh, England players have ever done that, even now. You know, it, it's not a massive long list of, you know, players who've done it every, you know, four years or whatever. And it's a regular thing. It's been done a few times. Um, obviously, they, they've won the, the one recently, but I mean... It's not something which is achieved by everyone. And, and it's almost like a common theme where we've just been talking now, we've just been talking about your career, is that you've achieved or you achieved a lot of the things that you grew up dreaming of in terms of cricket, cricketing career. You achieved those things, whether it was playing international cricket or playing professional cricket to start with, playing international cricket, playing in a World Cup final, you know, scoring a 50 or scoring a 100 or taking wickets. It's all these things that you dreamt of growing up you achieved so like in no, hindsight uh, now it must be amazing to look back and you know see it from a looking back on it all do you know what Some, th- sometimes there's more joy in this space looking back because mm. you can appreciate it more a little bit like that work of final you can get caught in the middle of so many things and actually forget that you're in a really, really good place and that you yeah. should be actually enjoying your experience. You can be caught up so much in the result or doing this or 
or doing that or or even in what in my case what other people think that you should be achieving that you don't necessarily appreciate that actually you're doing all right yeah well that's the thing i think like so again i was gonna ask you about this kind of thing to see when i played cricket um like i mentioned like as a teenager and i kind of got to a, a decent level um not comparing myself to you but just for this particular anecdote um I, when I was like 15, 16, I used to dye my hair all sorts of colours. Um, and one day I turned up to play a county match and I had, I think, orange hair. Oh, uh, that would have gone so, well. Yeah. So the coach pulled me to one side and said, Simon, um, you know, this, this orange hair is a sort of thing. This, this is not the way we do things. And I was kind of like, well... You know, I was polite, and because I was a kid, I, I respected that. I still do respect the, the the coach who said it, and kind of I said, okay, okay. But afterwards, I thought, well, I'm there to play cricket. It doesn't really matter what I look like, sort of thing. But okay. so the thing I was going to ask you is, over the years, particularly in around the '90s, because I think I do think attitudes have kind of changed towards that sort of thing. Did people constantly tell you? that you had to act a certain way or do certain things or be a certain person with, from oh, within sure. the cricket world? What I didn't, didn't realise, I was joining a cricket club, but these cricket clubs were more like lifestyle places. Um, I was naive enough, a little bit, I use the word naive, to think that I was actually just going to play cricket. Yeah. But you had to fit in. Your personality had to fit in. Your dress code had to fit in. It was like almost um, joining the military in the sense that it all had to be very uniform. And there wasn't a great deal of scope for somebody being themselves. Yeah. In walk the bloke who just come from the Caribbean. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you see that? Yeah. yeah. And I didn't have an appreciation, certainly in my younger days, of that, that it wasn't just about playing cricket. It was about fitting in in so many different ways. Cricketers don't do this. Cricketers don't do this. This is the way you dress. We go to the pub afterwards. And there was a whole host of stuff that apparently was in my contract that I wasn't aware of. All right. Okay. Let's just say for a lot of, a lot of years, or perhaps all my career, that was problematic. Uh, to start with, because I didn't understand. And then later on, once I actually understood that I still wanted to be me and not somebody else. Yes. Do you think, um, so obviously as your, as your international career and then your county career um, came to an end, one of the questions which someone sent in actually was, did you feel uh, let down by the people within the sort of the ECB and maybe the clubs that you uh, the clubs that you were representing at the time um, as your career you know as your career ended because um, come yeah it's massively massively so, um, my career ended in controversy and although I think a lot of it had been um, controversial um, this was very different. Um, I got this one right. 
and I was shoved in it. Yeah. Straight. We can muck around with nice words, <clears throat> um, but I did the right thing, the thing that everybody said I should do, and I did that, yeah. and they shoved me under a bus. Um, that's, how, that's how I see it here. People can put it in, in a nicer term, but that's what went on. Um, so, yes, um, when I left, uh, more than perhaps let down, um, I just simply felt angry, I think, is a, a pretty fair assessment of my emotions at that time. And yeah, fact, I mean, um, I, I don't blame you, to I be left, honest. At the time I left, I officially, I still had a contract. Okay. But just couldn't, just couldn't be in that place. Yeah, so just for kind of people maybe who aren't aware of what we're referring to, um, obviously uh, you were approached by, I'm going off the article, so you'd have to correct me if I'm wrong or anything <laughs> like that. Um, you're basically approached by a, an Indian bookmaker uh, who wanted you to kind of... How you doing, mate? <laughs> He's looking at you, the Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> sorry about uh, that. You're good. Yeah, that's fine. Um, so you reported this to the ECB as you should have, uh, and then after that, you didn't get the reaction that I think. If that was the if 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 an England cricketer was in this position again now, and they reported it, you would think that they would be pretty much praised for it universally because that's the right thing to do they didn't go the other way they they reported it they did what they should have done you didn't get that reaction listen it wasn't what i reported was something that they, they simply didn't want to hear yeah. yeah and when it came into the public domain rather than dealing with it um as i said um they chucked me in front of the bus pretending that i hadn't told them and a whole lot other things and pretty much left the press to do as they please while they kept yeah. quiet. Um, yeah, that's simply how it was. Um, but again, like so many things, um, we're talking about something um, 20 years ago. Yeah, and of course. We're talking about the emotions and how I felt about it um, at that time. And at that time, I was very, very angry um, about... Uh, about a lot of things. Um, here we are 20 years later, and no matter how angry you were then, 20 years later, you should have processed it and moved on. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, get, I... Into, and get into more a happy place. And what I would say about this, and that's not to let anybody off the hook or anything like that, is that I suppose if you're the person in charge of English cricket, making those decisions, um, perhaps your perception and how you go about things is very different. Where, from my perception, it was all about my career. Of course, um, yeah. You understand me? Um, yeah, of course. But and that's not me agreeing with anything. Um, no. That's just me saying that, you know, um, people have a, a different view and they have different concerns. And clearly the concern at that time um, wasn't about me. No, they didn't. Uh, they weren't too concerned about you as an individual, you as a for your career. Uh, it was seemed to, to be more about uh, 
the ECB's uh, perception, maybe shall we say, in the, in the press or whatever you want, to, just overall. Which is it's a shame because obviously your career um, is pretty much over at that point because they've chucked you under the bus, as you said. Um, now, uh, if you don't mind, if you talk us through kind of what happened after that, and then we'll go from um, there. Lots, lots of things. I, I, I went away, um, played club cricket in Nottinghamshire, Derbyshire, um, opened uh, an academy in Slough Cricket Academy. Um, we're still playing some cricket for the, the PCA. Okay. And at 40, I'm spotted by Martin Bicknell, an old teammate mm-hmm. who still thinks I can do a job in the 2020s. <laughs> and in the space of a few months, here I am making a comeback um, at the Oval. You know? Um, that must excited. have been surreal. Yeah, so- but excited and a little bit cocky in the sense of thinking, well, I bowl 25 overs a day. Mm-hmm. How hard can four overs be? <laughs> well, after Mark Bettini had bashed me out of the ground the first two balls, I realized that four overs can be really hard <laughs> and also very long as well. Yeah, for sure. So um, the comeback, um, not so great. Um, only lasted uh, a, couple of, a couple of games. Um, but actually enjoyed, didn't enjoy the comeback so much, but enjoyed the thought of the comeback, the training, and just the idea after almost 10 years that I would be playing cricket again in an environment or that sport, that thing that you, you know, that you're comfortable doing, that yeah. you can kind of do without thinking too much. You know, you know which end of the bat to hold, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But the reality was that 10 years and everything else, um, it, it, it had gone, you know. Um, cricket had moved on. Yeah. Um, attitude had moved on. Certainly batsman attitude with 2020 had moved on. Moved oh, on. Yeah. They were very aggressive. And you couldn't come in and do what I was doing, which is bowl military medium pace. No. And kind of hope to survive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That that things had changed in a big way, hadn't they? From a batting point of view, particularly in the twenty twenties, uh, there was no, uh, there's no, no longer sort of having a look as a batsman for a couple of balls. It's straight away aggressive, try and hit you out the ground from the first ball of the innings. So it's. Oh, yeah. I th- I thought I might get away with three or four balls while somebody had a look, but yeah. no, um, mm-hmm. none of it. Um, the game had had certainly moved on. So after, um, so you've sort of had the comeback. And I mean, I suppose with the comeback, even though it didn't go uh, as you would have liked, it's one of those things where if you perhaps hadn't done it, if you turned it down, maybe now you would regret not, you know, at least giving it a try and and getting back into the game and things like that. No, it was something. It was something I had to do. I think you're 100% right that if I'd said no at that point, um, I would have still been perhaps kicking myself, wondering um, if I'd said yes, where life would have, would have taken me, um, to be honest. So, yes, although it didn't work out, it was something that I had to do. But it, it's also something I can 
kind of put down to experience and not a bad one. Yeah, of course. You know, um, so there's no there's no negative again in that that it didn't it didn't work out. It it was an opportunity. At forty, um, you would say there were limited um, hope that it was going to work out in the first place. You know, but nevertheless, yeah, for sure. And again, glad that I I got into that and had a look um, because maybe if I hadn't. I'd be sitting here at 52 going, oh, I can still do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> when I've got evidence to show at 40 that I was nowhere near. So. Yeah, that's cool, yeah. I suppose. So, obviously, um, away from the cricket pitch, uh, you know, you've had some, some, some issues, um, which thankfully, you know, you've come out the other side um, of. Uh, on December 8th, 2008 you were arrested at Gatwick Airport on suspicion of smuggling uh, cocaine um, now often, obviously people will, will wonder how a professional sportsman went from being a professional sportsman to then being you know arrested at Gatwick Airport smuggling cocaine could you kind of explain just like how that came about and how it affected you obviously going forward from there now I understand how people can be surprised that a, a professional sportsman can go from some place that people think is such a high place um, and it is to potentially such a low place as importing drugs mm-hmm. um, but first of all I'm not going to make any excuses. That was done and that was wrong of me on any day of the week, at any time of the week. That was, that was completely um, a poor decision. But what I'm getting into is that whether you're a sportsman or not, um, you can get yourself into a state. And because mm-hmm. you're a sportsman, in my case, doesn't mean or an ex-sportsman, doesn't mean that you haven't necessarily got issues, whether yes. those be financial issues and all things in my case, it was more financial than anything. And we're not talking about being down to your last million pounds or your yeah. last hundred thousand pounds. We're talking having no, no, no money in the bank. Yeah. And the fear factor that goes with all of that. Now, none of that makes what I did right in any way, shape or form. Um, but what I found out, it can get you into a place where you can just make such poor decisions because the only thing that's on your head is getting out the perceived hole um, that you're in and that's where that's where I was and that wasn't that isn't an excuse that's just the fact of the matter Mm -hmm. Um, financially I was nowhere that didn't mean now loads of people are financially challenged and don't do what I did yeah so I'm not saying any of that makes it all right, but in the place of explanation, um, I was in a place where, let's just say if I needed to get to an appointment, um, I didn't have the bus fit. Um, I was afraid, I didn't know what was gonna happen. And I panicked and just did the most stupidest, made the most stupidest of choice, which was to go and try to import um, cocaine. 
um, to make a bit of a bit of cash. And as you point out, I was caught on my return to the country and eventually sentenced and sentenced to 13 years in jail. Can you talk me through that feeling of as you've you know as you've gone through Gatwick and you're coming through because like I know myself like and I know people who've made poor decisions because of the amount of financial strain that they're under um financial strain is something which I feel doesn't get talked about enough uh in terms of like these days you hear a lot about people who've um, obviously got mental mental health problems or substance abuse problems or or gambling debts whatever it may be there's a lot of stuff about that but I do feel sometimes where like there's not enough about the the just the pure strain that's put on families or people who are struggling well, to to feed themselves I, or to get to places well, I, think, I think it's a place where surely we realize that um, financial financial health or a lack of financial health and mental health go hand in hand. Absolutely. They're not separate. No, no. Yeah? If you're yeah. financially challenged, you're going to be hard-pressed to keep your mental health um, in, a, in a good place because there is worry there and as regards to things that people worry about in this world that we live in, I would imagine finance is at the top of it for most of people. So when I talk about mental health, I talk about pretty much anything that can affect your mental health. Yeah? Whether yeah, that's oh, yeah. finance or whether that's substance, whatever the case may be, that can get you into a place where from where you are, it's a dark place and from that dark place, you make very poor decisions. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I'm no expert, but that's been that's been my experience. You know, and mm. things only got better in my world when I started thinking um, more in a positive way. When I wasn't in that dark place anymore, and that dark place was that emotional dark place or that mental health dark place, where from there. It's hard to get to the good stuff, get to the positivity. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's, it's very difficult, isn't it, to get out once you're in that hole um, of just emotional pressure and strain and, and and struggling with your mental health. It's it's very difficult to drag yourself out, and it can be very difficult to make good decisions because of the strain that's put on you. Um. So yeah, so you've you've been arrested. Um, I was just wondering what you felt like as you went through the airport. Um, you know, as well, you're coming in, you knew you had the stuff on you, and you were going I'll, through customs. I'll, I'll, or... I'll be honest with this. Of course, that's a question that people want to ask, and mm. I understand why. Um, on a personal point of view, we are now ten to twelve years past the event. Yeah, and let's just say if I said that that was the worst event in my in my whole life, mm-hmm. and that I'm reluctant to keep reliving it. Yeah, okay, absolutely. If you see okay. what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's no problem. Listen, I'll say this: the reason people ask is because they can't imagine. I would imagine 
how you would feel in that situation. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's all that. It was so intense and so afraid. Um, so panicky that you think the whole world is watching you and every, every glance is an accusing glance. It's back in that, in that space in your head where yeah. you can't find anything positive, but here you are. Um, I, I, I think I, people get the gist of that. Yeah, of but, course, yeah. I'm reluctant to keep going over it in, in the sense from a personal point of view. Um, I understand people are interested, but from a personal point of view, it's the worst experience. So to keep reliving and when you do that and you talk that story, of course, you bring the emotions up again. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can understand that completely. Yeah. Um, so obviously, you were sentenced to 13 years in prison. Um would you rather move on to after prison or like I was going to ask you sort of like, you know, basically what it was like for you in prison, because obviously you were a fairly, you know, well-known person due to your sporting uh, accolades and stuff like that. But if you'd rather, we can just move to after that. Well, I'd say this about prison. Um, Prison isn't, in my experience, designed to be a nice place. No kind of meant to be the sort of punishment for for naughty people. So I didn't enjoy the experience of being in jail. There are lots of challenges. Um, but I guess that's part of why prison is there, to go, if you don't do this, you'll go here, and it's not going to be very pleasant. And yeah. in a lot of places, it wasn't. I don't think it was especially bad for me because... I'm, I'm known, um, to be perfectly honest. It, it wasn't that sort of thing. I think a lot of people are more just kind of find their way of coping themselves. So even yeah. if they're interested, they can't be interested for too long because they've kind of got their own stuff to get on with yeah. about how they're going to deal with their stuff. Because believe it or not, I mean, it's an emotional place. Yeah, you know, People see the macho side of it, but... If you think about what's going on in people's lives, it's impossible for it not to be an emotional place. If you see what I mean, I do. Yeah, like I, I can imagine that it, like it's it's not a nice place, but I can imagine that it's a place which is full of kind of raw emotion um, on a you know on a daily basis from day to day as people uh, kind of struggle or they are feeling trapped. People in... are trying different things and going different ways to to get through their pain because nobody's enjoying the experience. So they're using different things to get through. Um, so that's jail. But having said that, I suppose jail is designed to be that way. It's a deterrent. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, of course. Um, so in that sense, um, not a great deal um, to kind of add, no. um, you know, about, about this, but it was, it was all that. What was the, the first day out of, like your first day upon release, like. Okay. Can I ask you a question? Yes. What size are you? Uh, eight, nine. Eight, nine. Okay. Imagine you've been wearing a size six for six and a half years. Yeah. And then on that day, you finally took them off. Wow. Okay. I yeah. like that. Me- I quite like that yeah. metaphor. That's a good one. You get that? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. fully get that. 
Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, where it's not it's not joy, but the level of relief is just just massive. Yeah, just did massive. You, so, did you know? Did you know quite far in advance when you were going to get released, or was it a fairly short term sort of decision? No, you 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 you, you can you can kind of gauge it in the sense that you have to meet um, certain targets. So as you go through the system, you can gauge that you're, you're kind of coming to, towards the end or that um, there's a chance that you may be released. But in, in my case, I had a fixed date. Right, okay. In the sense that I was sentenced to 13 years and I was going to serve um, six and a half of those years and then be released on license. Unless, in the meantime, I did something silly yeah. and I wasn't allowed to go home for, for whatever reason. So I had um, an actual date um, that I was working to um, since the day I was actually sentenced. I knew on that day that potentially um, if I behaved myself and went through, I, that I'd be released. Do you, um, when you came out of prison, did you have like a, a plan in terms of what you were planning to do or did you, a, like did you have like a positive yeah. attitude and you had like plans that you wanted to no, take forward from I, there I had a definite plan but the plan was my attitude um, not necessarily going that I'm going to do this particular job or that particular job um, for me the important thing was the attitude I was going to have because things were different um, I would suggest that Perhaps I needed a, a thicker skin because, of course, what you've done, people are going to react to. So not mm. everybody's actually going to be welcoming. So you'll need, in order to make this a success, you'll need to stay confident. You'll need to look at this positively um, because there'll be times where perhaps people won't agree, but you still have to surge ahead. Um, you still have to make a life and all those things. So it was more about getting my attitude right before I came out because for want of a better phrase, you, you know there are going to be obstacles. You know there, there are many things that's actually going to go on that at times that it isn't necessarily, the world isn't always going to look at you favorably. Yeah, of course. Um, but in spite of that, you go, oh, I went, um, I'm still going to succeed. So that becomes not insignificant, but you just go, okay, this is my expectation, but I still need to, to go ahead. I still need to go and knock on another door. And it's more having that attitude I, I identified, um, perhaps of a way of being successful again, because, of course, there are going to be challenges. But let's face it, even if you haven't done the things that I've done, there are going to be challenges in achieving your goals. And you yeah. need to stay. You need to stay positive. So I'm saying, especially in this in these circumstances, because perhaps it's so easy to go, oh, this is against me. That's against me. The whole world's against me. And what you tend to do when you're in that place is you give up. Yeah, yeah, and you could. I can just from speaking to you and about your experiences, you can understand why uh, when people come out of of prison, they struggle or they if they 
and not able to have a like a positive mindset to to do to change or to do things and they struggle with their mental health you can see how people then go on to make further poor decisions they go so hand in hand i would suggest and again not a mental health expert if you're in a place of hopelessness how can you not struggle with your mental health yeah 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 it's impossible everything if you're in a place of hopelessness everything you look at you're looking from that negative space the effect that has on your mental health and your physical well-being decision making everything isn't it yeah um so also obviously since then you've uh, you've written a book you've had a play about your life uh, which i sort of came across when i followed you on twitter i saw some tweets about it how did the play come about because that's not something necessarily that i was expecting to find <laughs> i expected well, to find a book um, the play and- is because i learned through my experience that mental health part was the important part so the play is a two man play and it's essentially me talking to myself, um, giving that team talk. Yes, it's this, it's mm-hmm. that, it's that, but you can do this. You can do this. Yeah? And that's how cool. it came about, really through the experience and actually, sorry, and actually recognizing that the real important part was um, the mental state and how you go from a place of perhaps being in despair or lack of hope um, to something a little bit more positive, you know? And that's, that was the idea, the motivation behind the play, um, showing Chris on his knees. And then a little bit later on, him being in a place where, yes, he's on his knees, but at least he's thinking positively about the future. The future. Yes, I am going to yeah. get a book and I am going to run. Yeah, that must be something that you're that you're really people. proud of. A lady, a lady came to I think a play in Cheltenham, and after the play we would have a an open discussion about. Okay. The and then she put her hands up and she said, "I get it, I get it." So what do you get? She goes, "I get what you're saying." She's going. She goes, "You're saying that if you find yourself in a hole." It would be useful to remember or to understand that the same shovel you dug the hole with is probably in the hole with you. Hmm. <laughs> went, yep. It's really good, that is, isn't it? One, Very good. If you find yourself in the hole, let's just say, if you realize the shovel is in there with you, you're in a better place than this bit. Yeah, definitely. Um, if you don't use the shovel, at least you've got an option that you think, well, I know the shovel is in there somewhere. Even though I'm going to cry now, later on, I could go and find it. <laughs> it's a better place. Yeah, definitely. I want, but it's a better place. That's you it. That's really how the play came about, trying to tell that story, um, that mental journey from a place of, wow, I've really mucked this up and nothing can come of this. It's all over. Till later on and go, yeah, that was really bad. But actually, um, things can still happen for you. You can still do this and you can still do that. 
And that subtle change makes the world of difference in your mental health. Yeah, I, 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 I think so. Um, so obviously now you're you, just by speaking to you, you seem very positive. You, you seem to be happy. Um, what are you up to at the moment? Well, I'm up in Nottingham and I'm, co- I'm doing some coaching. Um, ICM, um, coaching the young kids. Um, a little bit of that. I do quite a lot of talking um, these days, going to schools and universities and, and telling that story because the story, I'm not telling it from a, a sportsman point of view. I'm telling it from a human point of view. Yeah. And we've touched on the whole mental health issue. We all have mental health. Or we all have times where we feel challenged. And in those times, so I don't get to tell people what decisions to make or anything like that because people will make their decisions. I'm just saying that if you find that perhaps you're in a place, you dug a hole for yourself, just remember that there's life after the hole. There's life after whatever the muck-up is. Couldn't have put it back myself. No, that's quite right. Um, so we had just a couple of questions. So I was, if you've just got a couple of minutes, just to, there's only, I think, it's two or three questions which people sent in. Yeah. Um, and then I'll leave you go about your day because I appreciate you've given me uh, a lot of your time. Um, so the first question was, uh, if you could change one thing from your whole life, what would it be? But I mean... Do you know... The obvious one would be going to jail. Yeah. But it's really not that simple. Only in the sense I learned so much from that experience. Would I want to lose that experience and lose all that information? It's just a strange, it's a strange thing. Um, ah, here we go. Save more. Nice and benign. Um, hmm. Obviously, there's loads of stuff that are ba- but. You know, some of the mistakes has been such such a big learning curve. Sometimes yeah, it's hard to actually give it back for the information that you've got, um, so to speak. Um, but trying to think. Yeah, probably invest invest a little bit more and party a little less. Yeah. I think the thing is, is those experiences and everything which has happened to you has made, made you who you are today. If you take away those experiences, then do you lose a part of yourself? Just this guy, this is a, a tricky one. Um, uh, Jamie, who's one of my co-hosts on the TV and films podcast, uh, he said, uh, "Has uh, what has the ECB offered any support to you, or uh, anyone sort of reached out to you over the years since you were uh, kind of released from prison and stuff?" No, the, the ECB haven't. But I would say, like, with, with all things, they are people who are your friends and people who rally around you yeah. and people who aren't. And in this circumstances, it's exactly the same. Um, so those friends have rallied around and those who aren't have kind of kept their distance and don't want to be um, involved. But I'm not saying that from a, a negative point of view. When you do stuff, people do choose, you know, and not yeah, everybody yeah, does that you make, and that's more than fair enough. That's what people are there to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
the other the other question is basically the same question. It's just worded different, so I'm going to leave that one. Um, okay, guys, I'm going to leave Chris to go along his day now. You can uh, check him out on Twitter at Claremont Chris. Check me out on Twitter at AceCast underscore Nation, and uh, check all our shows out: Video Ace Podcast Nation at YouTube and uh, audio sites at all your usual podcasting apps and platforms. Chris, thank you ever so much for joining me, mate. I really appreciate all your time. Man, it's been my pleasure. Thank Thank you you very much. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Cheers, buddy. Podcast Network. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.